welcome to the second episode of the Polycast, the podcast for polyglots and language nerds. This episode is about flight communication and radio communication. Hope you enjoy. Today, I will welcome my dear cousin, um, who is introducing himself now, because I think he can do that far better than I can. <laughs> Yeah, I would love to. So, um, yeah, I'm David. I'm 21 years old and uh, studying geosciences in Hanover. Um, yeah, but also what is quite special is that I have a quite interesting activity I do in my free time, which is uh, flying, obviously. So I fly gliders and um, also powered single-engine uh, airplanes. And uh, yeah, so I think aviation and flying and airplanes, Leslie, you can uh, confirm that I think is mm -hmm. uh, has always been a topic uh, in my life that was quite um, important to me. And uh, yeah, I think and I hope this is something I can give you today on your journey, some information about our communication right <laughs> absolutely because this is uh, supposed to be a language podcast and yeah. before i forget that um have you thought of a um favorite word did you come yes. up with something okay yes i did so my favorite word it's not the one we've discussed uh on the telephone it's an, a, a, actually another word um one of my favorite words is velocity And uh, it is velocity because I think it has a very beautiful connotation. It has a beautiful tune, beautiful sound. And the meaning behind it is quite basic, actually. It's the, the physical um, quantity of um, speed, so the rate of change. And um, yeah, I think speed always has something uh, quite quite um, unique, uh, relevant to all of us in our lives, in science, especially in aviation, in flying. And um, yeah, so actually, uh, when it comes to physics, um, the V that we know from all the equations um, about speed is actually velocity. And um, yeah, that's, I think, the word uh, that I like most. <laughs> <laughs> it is a beautiful word indeed. And yeah. When you... yeah, I think it, I think it's a beautiful horse name. Actually, I would, I would call my horse something velocity as well. So, yeah. <laughs> Are you planning on getting a horse? <laughs> Thinking of it. <laughs> <laughs> it will be a fast one then, if if it's yeah. this velocity. Yeah, definitely will. Amazing. Yeah, uh, beautiful that you are here, uh, and that you made it digitally. Yay. Yeah. Um. And as you said, we are about to talk about um, communication in the aviation sector. Yeah. Um, so when we were talking and pre-discussing this discussion right now, <laughs> um, we came up with a few topics and uh, with a few incidences that had to do with language and that led to um, severe accidents even. Would you like to tell us something about that? Um, well, I think there are several examples and several accidents uh, that are linked to miscommunication in many ways. Because, um, you know, generally in aviation, you have to differ differ <laughs> <laughs> differentiate between uh, communication within the cockpit 
or communication uh, with air traffic control, so which means radio communication. Um, so yeah, those are quite very important and two um, separate uh, topics in general. Um, the accident you are now referring to is, uh, I think, um, when it comes in terms of uh, the quite famous phrase, ready for takeoff. Um, so this is something I hear regularly from friends or, you know, in, in the media when, you know, there's an ad or um, a, dis a discussion linked to aviation. Often this specific sentence and phrase comes up, which is ready for takeoff. And um, I think many pilots and many aviators can um, acknowledge that ready for takeoff is um, a, a quite improper term in uh, aviation nowadays. So yeah, in, as, as you might um, expect now, back in the days, there were times where it was a quite common phrase. So I think this is why um, it became that popular and that quite and that famous. Mm -hmm. And the reason for um, that not being um, used in aviation anymore is a quite severe incident on the island of Tenerife in uh, Spain. So there was a quite, um, it was a, a pretty horrible accident between two Boeing 747s, um, one from KLM, which is a Dutch airline, and from Pan America, which was a US airline. And um, yeah, so what, what is quite difficult, what was important um, at that time in uh, Tenerife is that the runway was used as well for departing and landing aircraft and also mm -hmm. for aircraft taxiing on the airport. So it was, um, there were, weren't that much taxiways as you are used um, to have them in Frankfurt or in Munich or in London Heathrow. But the main runway is also the ta taxiway. I'm not, I'm not quite sure if uh, that's the matter today as well, but when this accident happened, um, this was obviously the case. Um, so we had the uh, scene, oh no, we, we had the case that um, there was this KLM machine ready for departure mm -hmm. um, at the holding point of the runway, which means being at the holding point is that you are just waiting in front of the runway to taxi on it and take off, but you're, yeah, you're not actually positioned on the runway. Um, whereas we had the Pan American Boeing 747 taxiing on the runway to use it to get to their gate. I think it was uh, to get to the parking position, but I'm not quite sure. The fact is they were on the one runway. And um, for some reasons, the KM machine understood um, from the air traffic control tower that they are cleared for their takeoff. So in aviation, everything has um, to come with a clearance. So an aircraft is not um, allowed to operate um, fully on their own responsibility or on their own discretion, unless you're mm -hmm. a private pilot uh, aircraft, but that's another story. So for takeoff and landing and taxiing, you always need a clearance. And, and clearance um, means something like um, an okay, a final okay, a go. Yeah. Like so. The air traffic controller in the tower um, monitors all the traffic on the airfield, in the airport, and also within the air. And of course, um, they know how to coordinate all the traffic in the immediate vicinity of the airport. 
and um, this is why you have to listen to them and um, strictly obey to their um, instructions and clearances. So um, yeah, so the KM machine obviously understood that they were allowed to take off, um, even though that wasn't the case. That was a problem of miscommunication um, due to the quality of the radio, which was uh, way worse back in the days compared to today. And um, also with, um, you know, there's a standardized phraseologic, phraseology um, in aviation, uh, which pilots in air traffic control all around the world have to um, keep up with and follow. Oh, okay, and so there's one for all, uh, for everywhere. It doesn't. Yeah, so the, mm -hmm. yeah, there's there's a standardized, um, you know, something something like a standardized procedure how to talk in the radio. Okay. So this is standardized all around the world. So like if a I corporate ask, design, but for language. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> so if I. Uh, for, you know, for example, if I decide to fly in Japan, um, they are briefed and, you know, they uh, actually, they're trained to communicate in the exact manner as uh, pilots from Germany, pilots from the United States or mm. South Africa. It's just basically all around the world standardized um, the same way, which is good and which uh, facilitates um, the traffic and, you know, the aviation industry um significantly and and also increases safety obviously mm. um yeah and those standardized language um improved because of those accidents for example this accident that i'm uh, talking right now about in uh, tenerife um yeah but you know the, the standard we have today um is also a result of um, lessons learned due to accidents. Mm. So there were people that made those mistakes, um, allowing us to be at that point and that development that we are today in. Um, so yeah, so the KLM machine obviously um, misunderstood the air traffic control tower um, for having this clearance. Um, they were reading back so they were saying on the radio we are now at takeoff whereas the tower understood um we are ready for takeoff so mm -hmm. he, he didn't read it as um you know that they are just in progress and all already in the takeoff role mm -hmm. so uh, you know you have to mention that he had a very bad visibility of the airport so he wasn't able to uh, clearly see Mm. those uh, affected affected traffic um only but with the radio radar and um yeah so yeah the the km pilots said that they are ready for takeoff um that air traffic control tower no sorry the pilot said that they are at takeoff that air traffic control tower understood that um they are ready for takeoff and um what he did is he just acknowledged it and said, okay, um, then stand by and wait for my clearance. Mm. Um, for unknown reasons, this uh, didn't get that through to the pilots. So they only heard that the tower said, okay. And they started their takeoff roll, even though there was a Pan American machine on the runway remaining. 
and um, yeah, so they hadn't had any um, visible contact, so they weren't able to see each other. They started uh, the attack of row into the fog, and suddenly the other machine appeared um, out of the fog, and those, this severely severe accident happened. Mm. So um, yeah, after that they changed um, the phraseology. The phrase, phraseology. Sorry, <laughs> phraseology. <laughs> so after that they changed the phraseology, and um, you know they. Um, they kept it with um, when you're on the runway ready for takeoff, um, you obviously um, call the air traffic control tower by saying, we are ready for departure. And the term takeoff is only allowed to be used when the runway is really clear of any traffic. So um, the response, if that's the case that they are allowed to take off, would be from the air traffic control tower, you are cleared for takeoff. And only when the term takeoff comes in the radio, um, you can be really sure that the runway is clear. So yeah, as takeoffs only allowed to be used when um, those circumstances are given. Okay. So um, yeah, that, I think that is a perfect example on how important um, clear communication and also standardized communication, um, especially between uh, air traffic control and pilots is. Mm. And um, yeah, quite Absolutely. sad and horrible um, that we had to learn it this way. But um, yeah, it is what it is. It is what it is, but it is very tragic, definitely. Um, yeah. But just to pop in with some linguistic um, phraseology, because <laughs> uh, I think it's very interesting because um, this example very much points out that you have words that consist of letters, but when we speak, we use uh, phonemes and phones and just sounds, speech sounds that can be very similar. And uh, yeah. if you say we are, what was it? We are ready for takeoff or we are taking off uh, or you know, what yeah. was it? Yeah, that ready. was, uh, yeah, the misunderstanding. It sounds so similar and you have yes. to have the words in front of you, but words and um, letters specifically uh, they are so arbitrary they don't mean anything um that's also why you use the linguistic alphabet of the um ipa of the international um phonetic alphabet so yeah. you use uh, phonetics um, and phones so speech sounds to figure out how something sounds uh, also if you want to look at a language you don't know yet and you want to study that you try to um, code all the sounds that you get and then build uh, words or anything else from that. So um, yeah, also good good example for that. <laughs> yeah, definitely is. It is. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, also we have, so you're also referring to the alphabet we have in radio communication and aviation. Oh, so do you use something similar? No, yeah, I, was, so I was referring to what I learned in my, um, in my studies, so ah, in okay. linguistics, uh, you have the international phonetic alphabet. So yeah. all the phones. Uh, if you if you look into a dictionary, usually behind every single word you have um, not the normal letters, but weird looking letters. But when you yeah, look yeah, at yeah. them, you can kind of get what sound they are standing for. 
so it's it yeah. sounds instead of letters. Yeah, and it is quite important to um, have such a phonetic alphabet, actually, um, as you know, it often uh, clarifies, um, you know, pronunciation, but um, also what is actually meant. And uh, this is also the case in aviation. So I was a bit surprised with the phonetic alphabet as we use something similar. Mm -hmm. and, so what is um, it? Yeah, well, there is the uh, so-called, um, yeah, some call it NATO alphabet. Um, mm -hmm. In yeah, aviation, it is often linked as the ICAO alphabet. So ICAO stands for, for International Civil Aviation Organization. And um, it, is, it is actually the alphabet many of us hear when they watch any, um, you know, action movies or... Um, pilot movies for example Top Gun with all the Alpha Bravo Charlie Delta whatever um, <laughs> terms and um, abbreviations and um, this it is also a phonetic alphabet um, somehow um, it clarifies what letters uh, are meant to be uh, you know transmitted in the in, in radio communication in aviation, but also um, amongst uh, pilots in the cockpit, as the letters, for example, D, C, B, they all sound pretty similar. Mm -hmm. And to clarify whether um, a B like Bravo is meant or D like Delta is uh, suppo supposed to be transmitted, um, there was this alphabet um, designed to actually clarify um this in radio communications and also uh, the abbreviations or the words um that are um matched to those letters uh, they are extra designed not to sound similar so it is an alphabet going from a to z obviously mm -hmm. and um there is no not not at least one word that sounds similar to uh, another and um yeah, so it's also a phonetic alphabet and it's also something that facilitates um, our communication um, in our daily lives. And um, yeah, so this is also something that many, you know, when, when they hear radio communications from of, of um, pilots and air traffic controllers, they often think, well, they speak a bit, they speak English differently. They often they tend to say um well that's not the way i i'm used to hear english or um, speak english mm -hmm. but it's it is mainly due to those words and um you know when they when you know the meaning behind it it, it is quite uh quite easy to understand actually that it, they are just describing letters <laughs> okay that's so, so for example that when we come to your name leslie it is mm -hmm. uh with the ikeo alphabet spelled um, Lima for L, E Echo as Sierra, L Lima again, I is India and E is Echo. So when it comes to transmitting your name on the radio, um, we would spell it this way. That's so fascinating. Also, yeah. um, <laughs> I will listen to this again later on. I mean, I will do that anyways, but I'll try to remember that in case I get into the situation that I will have to use that. <laughs> So thanks for briefing me. No, um, <laughs> no it's, it's so interesting because in the phonetic alphabet, we um, 
have charts that we use to describe each sound. So for example, a B is a bilabial because you use both of your lips, plosive because you push a lot of air um, through the lips uh, so you get the B sound. At this point, I was uh, saying the wrong things. So this is a post edit of uh, what I was saying. So um, it is correct that a B is a bilabial plosive, but it's a voiced um, bilabial plosive because when you say it, you use your voice and it vibrates kind of. And in contrast to that, a bilabial plosive that is unvoiced is a P. And that's how we describe um, yeah, the sounds in the phonetic alphabet. So it's pretty similar, but yep. uh, more about the way you produce the sounds in your mouth. Yeah. So, in your, yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, but it's interesting to see those similarities. And um, also that you sometimes need such an alphabet to clarify um, the meaning behind, you know, the pronunciation or um, to get a clear transmission um, of your intention or your message. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, quite cool. <laughs> it is indeed. <laughs> um, something else I wanted to ask you before I forget that is uh, you are, well, first off, the background information, you are um, currently um, preparing or in the process of becoming a flight teacher. Um, flight instructor, yeah. Flight instructor, right. <laughs> uh, so I wanted to ask you um, about what you learn to teach um, the prospective students that will um, be learning about commu flat communication uh, in your upcoming classes one day. So um, how, how do you introduce them to flight communication? What is the like, most important things they will have to remember? Like anything, or it doesn't have to be the most important things, but um, could you say something about that? Yeah, so actually the, the subject um, radio communication um, is pretty tough to teach. So mm -hmm. um, in, in, you know, in this winter season, um, as glider pilots, we only fly during the summer and spring and autumn season. So we pause in winter and um, this is the time uh, when we use um, the occasion to um, train all the um, students and um, you know young glider pilots uh, theoretically mm -hmm. and I've had many subjects that I taught them but radio communication was something that uh, challenged um, me as well hmm. so it is a bit like teaching someone a new language um, where do you start it is um, yeah. of course you, you can approach it this way that you can say okay just at first um, learn the vocabs and, um, you know, uh, learn the, some terms, some, some hmm? And repeat them, learn them by heart. And repeat them, yeah, but at first you need to show them how to pronounce them, um, but also, you know, how to apply them. And um, yeah, so before you come to radio communication, you really have to give them the basics of uh, that, might sound a bit strange now but about air law mm -hmm. so they have to understand the airspace structure in advance um 
they have to understand what air traffic control instances and facilities we you have all around the world um, so that they know to whom they have to uh, communicate with um, when do they have to communicate with an air traffic controller when they have to get clearances when they have to um, file flight plans so um, yeah so you have to feed them with all that information in advance and then you can actually slowly approach um, the real communication, so the real language actually. And um, yeah, so how have I done it? <laughs> I just have to remember. Um, yeah, it was, it was basically, you know, I, I showed them the phraseology. I got it. <laughs> and um, and um, yeah, I showed them different scenarios. So for example, um, let's just think about you approaching an airport. So you're coming, for example, from a very small airfield that is uncontrolled where you can uh, depart and land on your own discretion. And now you, for example, approach Frankfurt Airport, which is a quite significantly controlled and busy airport. So it is uh, the largest uh, airport we have in Germany. And um, so I, I put them in the scenarios and show them, okay, so this is the way or this is the way you have to communicate when you are approaching it. So you first start with the identification call. So you call the tower. Uh, I teach them what they have to say to them, um, then in which way, so which phraseology, um, which you know, abbreviations they have to use, what information they have to uh, give to, to the controllers, mm -hmm. uh, and so on. So we get through this uh, scenario step by step. So at first we have the approach, then I take a break with them. Then I show them how to take off of this airport. So um, what is special about taking off is that you have to get the taxi clearances in advance, that you have to switch... Uh, also frequencies, which you also do by during the approach, but in a um, you know in a different order. Mm -hmm. And um, so this is mainly the way I I personally I approach um, you know the uh, instruction in radio communication. Um, just put them in scenarios, and you're in those scenarios um, simulated, of course, um, I teach them the language. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it is not that easy because, you know, in my um, perspective, it is something pretty, you know, something that I'm pretty familiar. Yeah, I'm used to it. Something that I'm pretty familiar to, um, something pretty familiar with. And um, yeah, so they have to, you know, get into the flow and uh, they also have to get this perspective, actually. So it's like with every language. You have to practice it, and uh, once you got got the hang of it, um, it's quite easy to apply, in my opinion. Mm. That's so interesting. So, um, two questions. I will ask them both right now, and maybe remember the second one later, and then ask it again. So, yeah. first off, could you give an example for how to uh, how to approach an airport? Uh, like, suppose uh, you were at Frankfurt Airport and you were just about to land uh, on a Monday at noon. I don't know. Um, what would yeah. you say? Um, well, first off, um, 
I have to uh, very thoroughly prepare this flight to Frankfurt. Um, Frankfurt is a very um, special example as it is that busy. So I have to make sure that um, it also fits with the uh, traffic occurrence um, because sometimes you have the, the rush hours in Frankfurt that it's um, yeah nearly impossible uh, to get a clearance to uh, approach the airport. Um, and also generally about what is special about Frankfurt, um, they have pretty high landing fees. So when you land at an airport, you have to pay for it actually. Mm -hmm. And um, as Frankfurt is that busy, they tend or they you know, wish not to have all the small airplanes in their airspace because they are quite disturbing and um, you know, they bring a lot of mess into the coordination. So at first I have to make sure that this is okay with the air traffic control. Um, I can do that uh, by checking the arrivals and um, by, by, you know, um, looking at, um, yeah, the, the published uh, traffic occurrence, but also, um, yeah, I can just get the information at uh, the Deutsche Flugsicherung, the German um, air traffic control. Um, but yeah, so when we come to communication, let's say um, everything is good to go. Um, I would do as a so-called initial call. So before I give them all the information about myself, I just call them and say, um, say their call sign and then my call sign. So mm -hmm. for example, Frankfurt Tower, Delta, Kilo, Uniform, Kilo, Kilo. So Frankfurt Tower is obviously the um, air traffic control ground station and Delta, Kilo, Uniform, Kilo, Kilo is the call sign of my aircraft which is the, red, the official registration, like uh, on a number plate on a car. Mm -hmm. um, normally they would respond and uh, respond actually in, in quite the same way, but with uh, you know the, the switched sentence order. So they would say, Delta Kilo Uniform Kilo Kilo Frankfurt Tower. And then I would continue. Delta Kilo Uniform Kilo Kilo, a touring motor glider, Super Daimona, so the aircraft type with two persons on board. Um, yeah, then I would obviously say um, how many souls uh, I have on board of my, of my aircraft. How many souls? Um, so, so how many people, how many okay. lives? Yeah. So two persons, two souls. Uh, it sounded so uh, spiritual. Two yeah, souls on board. It's quite common actually to say souls then. So um, I also heard that on the radio that mm -hmm. um, pilots say with six souls on board or you know they, they, just to um, clarify how many people okay. um, there are. Um, then I would confirm the current information of the airport. So they publish um, on a separate radio frequency. This is something like um, the traffic um, report you hear in normal car radio. Um, where they give you all the weather information, the traffic information, and so on. And, you know, they code this information with a letter, for example, Delta D. Mm -hmm. And um, when I make the radio call, I notify the air traffic controller by saying, I have information Delta. So he knows that I have listened to the latest traffic report of the air airport. Um, so I, not, I acknowledge that. Um, then I would um, say my uh, actual position. So, for example, 12 miles, nautical miles, um, northeast of 
November 1, with it, which is a navigation point um, in 3,500 feet, which is my altitude, um, requesting landing, which is my intention. So the whole phrase would sound like data kilo uniform kilo kilo, two persons, a two remote glider, super daimona, two persons on board with information delta. Um, one, two nautical miles uh, northeast of November one, requesting landing. This is, it sounds quite, uh, mm -hmm. quite a lot, but they are, you know, they, they're good, pretty good at um, quick thinking and uh, they know how to sort all those information and they would initially give me a, um, clearance to enter their airspace. So they would respond with data kilo uniform kilo kilo, um, enter control zone via November 1 and November 2, runway 27 in use, QNH 1017. And uh, yeah, that's it. So um, it was first my call sign, then they give me the route how to join their control zone. Uh, which runway I can expect for landing, and um, then the current altitude and the, the current air pressure, which I can um, set my altimeter with. So it refers to that information QNH 108. I don't know what I said, but it's a general QNH. So um, yeah, and then the journey continues. Um, they it, it depends pretty much. Then they would say, you know, data kilo uniform kilo kilo, uh, confirm airfield inside. Then I have to confirm that uh, I see the airport. Then I would continue the approach uh, until they give me the landing clearance, which is quite similar to the departure clearance, what we've talked about already. Um, so with the landing clearance, they give me generally a wind information, uh, which sounds like that a kilo uniform kilo kilo. The wind is uh, 250 degrees, one three knots, runway 25 center, you're clear to land. Um, but I don't, normally you repeat everything that the air traffic controller says, except for um, general information, which is also the wind information. I don't have to repeat that. That's just for my, um, for my planning, for my, um, you know, for my, Steering ability. <laughs> Steering for my ability uh, to plan the approach, etc. But I have to. What it's the most important thing is that I have to acknowledge the um, landing clearance, and also in the right order that I first say the runway and then I confirm my clearance, so that they know. Okay, uh, you obviously got which runway to approach, but because there also have been accidents and incidents where pilots approach the wrong runway. <laughs> So um, yeah, then I would continue, continue the approach. After landing, I would con contact the ground control. So I would vacate the runway and uh, the tower would instruct me to um, contact the ground control. Then I contact the ground control and they are normally prepared for um, my taxi instru instructions. And it's just a bit similar to when you have uh, the navigation uh, system in your car. Um, they say which uh, taxiways and which streets um, you have to use on the airport to get to your stand. And those taxiways are also um, designated with letters. So we come, this is where we come back to the alphabet. They would say taxi two, stand five two via alpha, um, bravo two and Zulu four. Then I read that back and then I'm on the parking position. <laughs> wow. Yeah.
That's the whole yeah. process. Like, way it's, to go, but... So this is actually the way you do it as um, a small aircraft. Um, for example, airline um, aircraft and larger machines, um, for example, with uh, British Airways or Lufthansa, they use a different phraseology as mm -hmm. they do different approaches on the airport. But um, yeah, that would be another story. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's so amazing. So, so they would have to say something like 200 souls on board. Uh, no, they had they no. filed in a flight plan in, in advance, and oh, okay. um, the flight plan says uh, how many passengers are boarded uh, on the airplane, and the air traffic controllers they already see it on um, their screens. Uh, actually, they can see the flight plan initially, and they, you know, in case of an emergency, they would know um, how many people. Uh, there are on board but often they get it acknowledged by the um, cockpit crew um, if they really have for example 183 souls on board or less so even if there um, was one person uh, who did not board the aircraft um, this uh, has to be um, updated so yeah they know they always know how many souls souls um, there are on board wow yeah. Fascinating. So oh, I just thought of a question and now I forgot it. But I wanted to ask something else beforehand when I said, oh, I have two questions and I will ask them both. I just asked one. So before we drift off too much on that topic, although it's so interesting, yeah. I just wanted to ask you um, if there's like one obstacle or one thing that uh, the people learning all these new phraseology, maybe you two, struggle with the most. Like one thing everybody has to get over with and is uh, first struggling with. Is is there something in particular or uh, is it like in general just a hard thing to do and about practicing and getting into the language? Well, I think what is quite difficult, that wasn't the case with me, to be honest, but um, <laughs> I, I heard it of, of um, you know, some friends of mine. Um, that uh, during the exam, so you have, you, you sit an exam um, at uh, the authorities, the local authorities, for example, in Germany, it's the so-called Bundesnetzagentur. So they are responsible for all, um, you know, for, for example, for the um, connectivity of smartphones, for, um, yeah, radio mm -hmm. communication, for radios, uh, radio stations in general. So something um, like, uh, I guess it would translate to federal communication agency, something like yeah, that? Yeah, something like that, yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, so you have to um, give proof of your radio communication skills in an exam at their authority in, for Northern Germany, I think it's Bream. And um, what is quite difficult is, you know, they simulate with you that you approach and depart from an airport. Uh, so you get a chart. Um, from that airport, I think in my, my exam, it was Hamburg and uh, Cologne. And um, you just have to theor theoretically go through a flight, for example, from Hamburg, Hamburg to Cologne. And um, there's no, you know, virtual simulator. You just sit there with your charts uh, printed on paper and mm -hmm. uh, you got a pen and, and you know, it's all in your head. Sheet, uh, sheet you, you you can take some notes on, and um, 
you just have to uh, keep up with your own flight. So um, it comes it quite often that the um, examiner, which is a real air traffic controller actually, um, ask you some questions that they would never ask you actually in real communications. So they just want to make sure that you know where you are on your flight. And when you are approaching an airport, for example, when you are flying um, next to the runway so that you can, um, so before you have your, left, your last turn uh, until you're lined up with the runway for landing, um, they often ask you which track, which heading do you have? So um, you have to give then uh, an information um, in degrees. For example, if you're having a heading towards the east, the, um, the, the correct answer is I'm heading, um, my heading is 090 as it is 90 degrees. Uh, with heading to the south, it's 180 degrees. To the west, it's 270. And to the north is either 360 degrees or triple zero degrees. And um, yeah, so they often ask you, uh, for example, data queue uniform kilo kilo, report your current heading. And if you, you're not able to give a proper and correct answer to that question, you um, they give you one more chance, and if you still got it wrong, uh, you fail the exam. And this is something that many struggle with, that to, to stay orientated um, on the paper, because that would be the problem uh, in real life when you're seated in, in an aircraft, but um, to stay orientated on the paper and to be uh, caught up with your flight path is sometimes a bit difficult and challenging for, um, yeah, for, on, for upcoming pilots so yeah i think that's the, the largest struggle i can think of mm. that's so interesting because there are there are some languages in which um we don't have this orientation as we have in in german or in english for example like this is in front of me or this is behind me or next to me that's very uh, egocentrical <laughs> like literally literally and I think in Maori it is so in Maori so the uh, native New Zealand um, tribe um, you do not orientate yourself with uh, saying this is in front of me or this is next to me but uh, saying this is north this is northwest this is northeast I am heading south so Maybe if you speak that language, you're more um, uh, predestined to become a pilot than when you're a born native speaker of English or German. Yeah, because uh, yeah. I, yeah, I think the, the awareness of orientation is uh, quite interesting on how it's linked to uh, our language. And um, for example, those native tribes uh, that often use such, um, you know, the, the, those spatial orientations to uh, describe their environment, um, they're often way more aware than, you know, people um, that didn't learn that language, I think. I think, yeah, it is a quite significant uh, correlation. Absolutely. So maybe you should uh, learn a language like that first before you uh, become a pilot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That Could might help. Be, uh, 
a good way to um, yeah to approach that. <laughs> Definitely to train your navigation skills. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, beautiful! This is so interesting. I think I learned a lot today. <laughs> yeah, so I think you're ready for your exam, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. I think that will take me some some more uh, talks with you or uh, studying, but um, not sure if I will get there. <laughs> Hopefully, anyone who listened and who is preparing for maybe an exam to become a pilot or anything like that um, will have this full information. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. Um, I don't have any like further questions or anything, and I think we talked a lot already. Um, yeah. So it's seven now, and I think we started around six or a bit past six. Uh, I would say thank you so much for this beautiful conversation I learned a lot and I think it was so interesting and to me it really seems like you are learning another language when you want to get up into the air <laughs> with an aircraft yeah yeah you definitely have to reorientate your English skills I think <laughs> <laughs> yeah probably what nice uh, last words uh, thank you yeah. so much. so yeah, you're welcome um, yeah thank you and uh, I don't know if you have any other other thing that you would like to add or that you would like prospective listeners to hear. <laughs> well, I think, so to be honest, this is uh, a topic I can always talk about and it's, it is a pretty large topic. So there's a lot of literature about it. Um, you know, but oh, I that's think, a good point. Yeah, sorry. No, I think I just uh, want to keep it simple for for the beginning <laughs> <laughs> good point maybe that would be like a an own podcast yeah yeah definitely it would be so if you get too bored that's something you can look into but um that you were talking about it do you have some lit literature that you would suggest for people who are interested in um air language or communication uh, for aviation purposes um yeah definitely so i think um It is quite simple. I can uh, recommend all the literature that um, the German air traffic control pro provide about um, radio communication. And uh, they always update their uh, literature and their, you know, their books um, so that you're always on a pretty much state of the art. Um, yeah, knowledge and um, briefing of them. So, yeah, they're the place to go in terms of um, getting to know radio communication all around the world better, I think. Is that in English? Um, yeah, yeah, they have uh, English publications as well. So um, they also provide um, foreign pilots to, oh, no, let's say a different, they enable foreign pilots to um, get their uh, air radio communications exam sorted here in Germany. And um, yeah, it is not mandatory for those exams to be um, uh, able to speak German. So yeah, they should be available in, German, in English as well. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I will look into that at, at some point <laughs> someday. <laughs> no, thank you so much. <gasps> You're welcome. This was the second episode. I hope you all enjoyed it. And if you have any other questions or suggestions you'd like to make, don't hesitate to get in touch um, via Instagram. It's the Polycast podcast. See you there.